All right. We'd like to welcome you to the Intern Whisperer, the show all about the future of work and innovation. Today's Intern Whisperer Tip of the Week for employers. Remember, employers, that mentoring goes two ways. Your wisdom is passed on to the student, and you can also learn from them. You want to know how? It's going to be they will help you to identify process gaps and training gaps when you slow down and you pay attention to what you have to explain to them. They go, gee, I wish I had actually put that in, in some type of a training program. Today's guest is Mario Samachi, one of the owners with Get Up and Go Kayaking. Welcome, Mario, to the Interim Whisper again. It's so nice to see you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be back on the show. I am excited to have you here. Our show is all about, just as a refresher, education, innovation, business, and the future of. We look at what are those jobs and the industries going to look like in 2030. And Elizabeth is one of the associate producers. She's going to kick this show off with us. Yeah. So good afternoon, Mario. I was curious about your educational background and your first job. Well, nice to meet you, Elizabeth. I, my education is actually focused in international business. I actually went to Rollins College here in Winter Park, where I got a uh, BA specifically in international business with a focus in global franchising. And right after college, I went off and started working with uh, Hilton Grand Vacation, where I was then led off to start in a position as a pricing analyst with NBC Sports, where I did some time. And after that, I uh, found- you Make it sport. sound like you were in prison. You did some time. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, if you are an entrepreneur, you definitely know what that is or what that experience is, right? Not saying that it's, it's not great. It wasn't a great experience. By all means, I learned a lot. I, I evolved a lot from all the jobs that I had, but I always wanted to work for myself. I always, I, I always wanted to pursue something more personal and something that was really identified my sweat and tears for what I was delivering, right? So yes, I did my time with with all these companies. And after that, I, I ventured off to do my own thing. How about this? How about if we consider they trained you well at their expense, so you could be an entrepreneur? Boom. <laughs> okay. So just reframing it so that maybe when you're talking with them, you can say, I learned so much and I appreciate all the money you invested in me. <laughs> Yes, yes. I actually look, I know, I've actually ended every relationship, every work relationship that I've had to transition out of, I've always let, left with the door open. Um, I think that's something very important in any career or, or anything that we pursue is how do you foster those relationships over time? I actually, after I left NBC Sports, I went off to work or I did this for three, or what we're going to talk about today. I, start, I created one location for get up and go kayaking. After three years, one of my previous VPs from NBC Sports contacted me to work on a project with him in DC, which is why today I, li I live in DC after, you know, founding one of the locations in Florida. Oh, wow. You're beginning to be a United States traveler. Maybe you'll have a business in every state. I'm not sure. You should come to Oregon. 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 
there's a lot of opportunities in the West Coast. I was yeah. just in LA a couple of weeks ago. Same thing. There's just a lot of opportunities currently in the for people who want to be outside. So, mm-hmm. all right. So you're an entrepreneur. What are some of the or all of them, if you want to, the ventures that you started? Because you and I met when you had interned with me, and that was super cool. And you had so many great ideas. And then you came on the show as a business owner also, and you were sharing some of those businesses, but I think that you've transitioned. So let's talk about all of these fingers in the pie that you have, so to speak. Funny enough, I had just started my first company when I was last on the show mm-hmm. and I ventured off. I started working with a couple manufacturers in China and, and then later on in Peru and eventually it just wasn't working out. Like the margins weren't, weren't really, I wasn't meeting my expectations. I was just losing a lot of money and I had, I had to find a, something that would suffice my, my entrepreneurship. I was working for a company nine to five and I really wanted to find a way where I could completely devote to a bigger purpose and be able to grow a team. So Get Up and Go Kayaking actually came around right after we had spoken. A couple months later, Justin, who, which is the founder of, of the brand, came up with this great idea two years prior to that and was doing super well. He went viral, million, million views on social media all over the web. And he started wanting to grow even faster. Us being colleagues in, through our MEC sports careers, we had a conversation. I like to think that he he listened to to some of the advice that I gave him. Me having the expertise in franchising, it was definitely a conversation that I had brought up. And and if I remember correctly, I basically told him if he did this, I would buy into the company. He comes back two years later. We're just having lunch. And then he also says, hey, by the way, this is now a franchise. Are you going to buy it? Not really his exact words, but that's how I took it. And I was just eager. I was like, well, I did say that. I do want to pursue this. It's a great brand. He's doing such a great thing with it. And I just, I see so much, I saw so much potential. I actually was not into kayaking at first. I, he's like, go check out some of the locations, see how it is. What do you think? We had just a relationship between numbers, NBC Sports, and our experience as, you know, working together for three years. And I believed in it. I believed in, in, in him as an entrepreneur and how he just was so devoted to it. He, he used to actually work a nine to five with me. And then after, after he would clock out, basically, he would go work doing tours himself sometimes. So until he started hiring for more help, was it that he was be he was able to delegate and move on into more of the branding and, and where he can really focus his best energy at, which is creating content and really representing what the brand offers. It's this clarity into a window of nature. And it's something that we haven't been able to experience on a regular kayak. So there's just so many locations and so many places where you can grab a a paddle, a kayak, and go explore. Mm. So what's your other business that you're in D.C. with now? So in D.C., I've actually was working 
on a syndication project where syndication is it's a practice of using investors' money to put together real estate projects. In this case, it was housing through apartment complexes and they grabbed their through team. We were able to move a portfolio from 2,000 to 15,000 units within six months. And it's, there was a lot of brain power. There was a lot of great talent. I, I got to meet a lot of great people and it wasn't just not a business. It's just part of the, uh, the brand that I represent here in Florida. I actually, during the same time that I was building it up and go kayaking Rainbow Springs, I opened up a real estate group in central Florida, where we started managing Airbnb properties and turning properties into investments for outside investors in Utah and Arizona and New York and New Jersey. So we would host their properties here in, in Orlando in return for certain ROIs and profit shares at the end of the year. I'm kind of curious, when did you get your real estate license also? Is that a regular one or did you have to get a broker's license and do you have to get that in every state? I'm not sure because you mentioned a lot of states. Yes. So it's all works through referrals. And as long as, because we control the transactions in Florida, I only need a real estate license here in Florida. Similar for our partners and our referral partners in in other states, they'll need their real estate license in those states to be able to declare those gains. So everything that I receive is basically through a Florida entity. And yes, to answer your question, I do have a real estate license. I got that back in 2018. I don't need a broker's license because I do work within a brokerage with partners. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it works alongside everything. In real estate, really, it's, it's a lot more of contracts and, and the leverage between the people, the lawyers, the, the, the closers. So there's a lot of moving pieces of people, in other words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Going back to you, Elizabeth. What We got into this a little bit towards the beginning of this question, of the last question, but why did you get into the kayaking business? Yeah, it's really interesting because he doesn't kayak, right? So that would be part of it. Yeah, you said you didn't. You didn't cover <laughs> it, but I guess he learned to like it. I really, you know, what's funny is once again, it's, I I listened to this interview we had this morning and I thought it was, wow, a lot has changed. And it's really because there was a lot of change during my, my last couple months with one of my previous employers. And it was because I was spending a lot of time inside dedicated to my work that I wasn't physically receiving a lot of vitamin D accordingly to the doctors. And that is basically base of the lack of sunlight, which mm-hmm. doesn't make sense here in Florida. I mean, we receive so much sun. So when I'm hearing this and trying to digest this from the doctor, I'm just like, well, I need to fix this real quick. And once again, Justin came in at the right moment, presented this opportunity. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go kayak, check it out. Once I tried it out, I'm like, all right, this, this is really fun. This is different. At first I felt very insecure and eventually I I started to like a thrill of just trying to find a place, trying to find somewhere where we can do this and replicate what he had created. Just, 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 Just created this adventure between it all. 
And today I can easily just grab a, a kayak, throw it in a, in, a, in a water and just go kayaking like nothing or even standing paddleboarding. And before I wouldn't even do that. So it really, it has to do a lot with the vision that I saw behind the brand. I can't say, and more, and not even the brand, also the entrepreneur. I, I really think that he, that Justin had a lot uh, to offer and just really needed help. And I was excited. I was excited for a new adventure. Mm, that is really good. I, I have done kayaking single, you know, and also double. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, I mentioned to you before we started the show that I've done stand-up paddleboarding. And so I was sharing that story. I'm going to go ahead and share it for the purpose of the listeners, because I think that people don't always know, oh, this looks like fun. And they may not think through all of the things that, ooh, what's dangerous underneath the water. And if I had a clear kayak like yours or a clear paddleboard, then I might be able to see things more clearly. So we'll talk about that clear stuff in a minute. But I went kayak, I mean, uh, paddleboarding, and it was at dusk. We were leaving the dock at dusk and going across the chains in the winter park, you know, where Rollins College is. We started at Dinky Dock, and then we went over into the Maitland chain. Anyway, she said, yeah, not many people do this at night because gators are out. And we were already launched and in route, and I went, well, okay, not going to worry about it. If my number's up, my number's up, but let's just keep going and enjoy the, the thing. But I did, I did pay attention to the fact that I needed to keep my legs not in the water. Just <laughs> <laughs> So gators, I don't know. It's something to think about if you're in Florida, for sure. Oh, for sure. Anywhere in Florida. I, I would say I'm not so worried because the, actually the lake that you're uh, referring to, I'm, I'm familiar with I'm not super afraid of gators in that water, but then again, in every body of water in Florida, the, the odds that there's a gator is very high. Oh yeah, well, we know that there was that horrible accident years ago where a two-year-old, I believe it was, two or three-year-old was on Disney property, was attacked by a gator and killed. So we have at Rollins College a ski team and there's always a lot of activity in this water Elizabeth just so you know and Maria and I both went to same, to the same college and as such I would think that because there's a lot of activity there's boats there's you know people skiing there's inner tubing all kinds of things going on it would keep any activity at a minimum I would think however you know at night anything's open for grabs including legs. I don't know. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll, I do have to say this. Gators, gators, right? Gators, yeah. alligators only eat once a week. Doesn't mean that they can't eat more than once, but what I'm saying is they're not, they are not a, an aggressive type that is going to go out hunting every so often. Now what they are going to go for their type of prey is usually the size of a baby. Oh. Like, no, like they will go as far as eating a, like a dog, a, a baby, a two-year-old. So the reason why I bring that up is because, yes, I might have happened in Disney property, but once again, child shouldn't have been left alone or... Yeah, it was near the edge of the water and it was like in a place where it was highly populated. So you're absolutely, I mean, the parents, I cannot imagine anything worse, right? Right. I, yeah. But it's just, once again, especially we're talking about water, we're in their habitat. So we got to respect it. So 
it is what it is. We're just borrowing it or using it while we're out there, right? So yeah. I've heard the uh, stories of Florida, you know, like you, you always hear, you know, the stereotypes of Florida that there's a, a gator in every lake or every toilet, you know, there's a mini alligator just like crawling up there. You know, I, I never really believed it, you know, <laughs> but maybe I, I not so much in toilets, but in, in waters. Yes. In waters. I would think that gators eat more turtles and things of that size too, because how often can they grab a a child or a, a dog, it's not going to be that great, or a cat, but I would think they probably eat a lot of turtles and birds. Turtles. Birds. You guys have, sorry, what was that? I was just emphasizing what Isabella was saying. Turtles, birds, fish, um, that's usually what they go out for prey. Yeah. There's this old sci-fi movie. It's horrible. It's called Lake Placid. Have you heard of it? Is that that's similar familiar. at all? It sounds familiar. I, Lake Placid is in um isn't it a town in florida actually isabella no it's in michigan i think lake placid but that that's a horror movie and it's about something in the deep in the lake and eating people and i don't watch those movies but apparently elizabeth knows it and she must have watched it mm-hmm. it's yeah i think it's about uh spoiler alert it's about a giant alligator that keeps eating people and i think it's betty white that like fed her husband to the alligator oh my uh, god it's really, you know, it's horrible. It's horrible. Like old 90s sci-fi that you just cringe at, but. Just to be clear, Lake Placid is in New York. I just Googled it. So now I said Michigan, I was somewhat close, but still wrong. So anyway, all right. So going back over here, what is the biggest challenge or threat to kayaking as a business? What do you think it is? Weather is something that we would never control. Definitely. If it's raining, if it's thundering, if it's storming, we're not going to be out there. But if if it's cloudy with a decent sun and light out, we'll definitely go be out there adventuring. Do you think people go out there when it's cold, our Florida cold? Like, you know, we have December, not really, but December, January, February, March, maybe. March is coming. They, they do. It's surprising. We actually, being in Central Florida, we're always going to be receiving the, the tourism traffic that Orlando, Tampa experience year-round. Therefore, we get some of that love and get to entertain the guests that come from up north, from Europe, and don't mind being out in the winter, being out there paddling at, what is Florida winter going to be like? The cold is maybe 65 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> right that sounds lovely yeah <laughs> 65 by the way the water is 72 degrees fahrenheit year round so some of the guests would actually prefer to be inside the water than outside paddling so it's definitely an attractive experience for many in the winter what are some of our locations actually have the manatees come in for the winter mm -hmm. so until March, end of March, we get to do different activities, guests get to see them from beneath our kayaks. So it's definitely, depending on the location or area that the tourists are in, they'll be able to catch those. That's wow. so cool. That's magical. I, want, I do want to slip this question in here. I'm going out of sequence. It wasn't on there. 
but I did tell Elizabeth, I really want to know. So where do you get clear kayaks? <laughs> do they cost more than regular kayaks? Do they have to be maintained? I'm thinking it's like Cinderella's slipper. It's like glass. I know it's really not, but like, what's the story? On, because I think that is just like so brilliant to be able to be in a kayak and go, oh, look at that. There's something that just swam right underneath our kayak. Right. And we're just getting, getting started. I want to say we're just getting started in the creativeness behind our equipment. And Justin and the team have had such a great intellectual mind between all of this that we're actually manufacturing ourselves, the brand manufacturers, the equipment. We do retail them on our website for about 1500 And how do you maintain them? It's really just making sure it's, it's rinsed off of fresh water with fresh water after each use. And the basics, not using shoes on top on top of them and not putting sunscreen on, t um, on while you're inside the kayak, apply it before you even get on the kayak. So simple, simple things, but it goes a long way. And our kayaks will go as far as we, we don't, we don't need to change them out every so often. Hmm. Do they have screws in there? How, how are they? Do you still see all the metal parts of how you assemble it? So we actually, it's, it's actually very similar to almost like the cockpit class used on planes. Okay. So it's the mold. The mold is, is held by a gray bar. And um, yes, there are some screws that hold that mold um, firm. But then it's just removable seats that you just put on top of the kayaks and are able to take them off after each use and and everything else is just removable. So you can have you can set up your seats either in the in the middle of the kayak, in the back, obviously in the back of the kayak it should go because the, you want to maintain some more weight on the back than in the front. And it's very easy, very easy to to use and maneuver. Hmm. Okay. I did not know that they, did you guys create them? Is it like your own creation? Yes. Or to a degree, right? There's other distributors already out there, but the, the actual manufacturing of these specific kayaks that we use today is done by the brand. What's done by the brand. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Back to you, Elizabeth. Yeah. How has your business been affected by the pandemic? Honestly, it's been a blessing in disguise because it just reminded a lot of individuals of the importance of being outdoors and the sanity and relief that it gives everyone. It, it, something, an experience to share, an experience to, to meditate and just be out there around nature. So people just are really loving the aspect of being outdoors today more than before. Mm, I would think so, yeah. Because having to be held what feels like being hostage in your home and limited to just a certain amount of people. I was discussing this yesterday with uh, somebody else, you know, like a person on the street really. And I was saying, I think that it was probably as close to that same Stockholm syndrome of creating a, a prisoner, making somebody feel like a prisoner in there in their own home, not really quite the same because that was with prison guards and obviously you know, people pretending to be prisoners too. 
but that feeling of being locked up, it's got to be pretty close to what somebody else in jail or in prison would feel because you're in these walls. And granted, you have social media, you have access to some other things, but every day has to feel the same. And the ability to go out into nature and to do something that is physical and you're breathing fresh air and you're getting vitamin D and all of that good stuff has got to be just truly something that liberates the soul and makes that heart sing, I would think. I'll say this, if you let me add to that. For example, at Rainbow Springs, every day on the water will be different. The water that you see one day won't be the same that you will see the next day or the previous day. Rainbow Springs pumps out on average 800 million gallons of water, fresh, fresh water daily that we we're able even organically to pick up and drink if we wanted to. And it stretches out for seven, seven miles. So that's a lot of water, but the scenery is always going to be different. The discharge it, that it comes out, it's going to be, it's going to look different. Does the water come from the aquifer? Where is it coming from? The water comes from the aquifer, staying at a 72 degrees Fahrenheit year round. Wow. Interesting. Where is Rainbow Springs? Rainbow Springs is located west of Marion County or west of Ocala, Florida, basically north of northwest of, of Marion County. So it'd be like going up to Gainesville between Ocala and Gainesville? West of west of Ocala before Gainesville. Okay. And now I know of another place to go check out. That's pretty, pretty cool. You have a lot of gators. I don't know. What... Go ahead. Sorry, no, uh, you go. I was saying uh, we do have a lot of gators come down. I want to say gators, students from, from UF, always coming out to Rainbow Springs. It's just a 45-minute drive from Gainesville. Okay, when he's saying gators, Elizabeth, he means that's the fans that go to University of Florida. Their mascot is our gators. And so it's like chomp, chomp, go gators. <laughs> he, he's making a little play on that for our listeners who may not know that. It's not the real animal gators. He's talking about gator fans from University of Florida. University of Florida students did not kill that child in Disneyland. I feel like that should be said also. <laughs> <laughs> Different yeah, gators. <laughs> That was the real animal. Yeah, that was really, really sad. Okay, so I think that you've talked about this one, what led you to become passionate about the environment, I would say probably that particular venture into it. But, you know, where you're from, I think we should go back to your roots and like where your family is from and all of that, because it, it did not start always just here in America, you're pretty well traveled. And so you've been in a lot of places. So I think you have been out in the environment quite a bit. For me, for me personally, it's always been important to give back to a degree. And what better way to do it than with nature, with our environment, with our habitat. I come from, from my, so my mother's from Nicaragua, my dad's from Peru. They're both third world, considered third world countries. So every time coming back to visit their home countries, I would always experience this somewhat of a culture shock because what we have in the U.S. is is not even a quarter of what these countries are experiencing. Especially today, today these countries are 
being ran by so much corruption and it's just it feels hopeless for a lot of the individuals out there for a lot of family members and 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 people still living in these in this in these countries but it served it really helped me in my growth process to see this or experience these cultures because it allowed me to value it even more and to really understand that uh, at least for example at rainbow springs being such a town where it has a lot to offer through just specifically this river we want to care and we want to conserve the amount of land that's out there i can share that last year there was a huge development project that was proposed in town and about <clears throat> more than 800 acres were acquired to to promote the idea of a beautiful resort on the water. And it would have brought in a lot of ec economy into it, into the city. As a business owner, I understand that, but it would take away the actual beauty of being surrounded by a foresty area, by a lot of trees that hold a lot of homes for different animals. There's over 14 different types of birds out at Rainbow Springs that we get to see on a daily basis. So it, it all of that would have been gone just from chopping a couple of trees and putting a couple of tiki houses up. But one of the most beautiful things that this developer did was he listened and and he heard out the town and and he made sure that that everyone had a say into what was best. And the development didn't carry forward. We were proud of, of being part of that voice and and sharing our thoughts. So till this day, Rainbow Springs continues to share that beauty. So so yes my background does has helped me grow in that process of admiring the beautiful parts that we experience here at least in florida in the u.s but at the same time i'm still actively doing today I sit on keep orlando's beautiful board here in here in orlando which is just a another extension of keep america beautiful not ngo around the nation really important our environment was here before humans, so we should uh, respect the boundaries of, of what they offer us. It, it's just so sad to me to think of a world without the ability to visit the natural wonders that we have, but also to enjoy the wildlife that's out there and respect the wildlife. Yeah, I definitely want to be able to travel to more places in the United States, but also outside of the country and go see places like the Great Chinese wall. Like, I want to go see that. And I know you've traveled. You have traveled. Yes. I've, I've been to the Great, Great Wall of China. I've been to Machu Picchu. I've been to... Well, you lived in Peru. You, uh, well, you visited Peru. Yeah. Right. Peru was by far one of my favorite experiences. And it was shortly after we had met on our last interview, where I had gone to go meet with a couple manufacturers before I decided to go into this venture with Rainbow Springs. I had already seeked out the location. I already had my part. We, I had everything settled with my partner. We were both on board. We, were, we already had permits with the city. We just had to sign documents to buy into the brand and everything else. And I remember just one day I was working with, with, with NBC Sports. The next day I was on a plane to Peru, spent the mountains, just back, a, a month just backpacking through Peru, from the desert to, to the city, into the mountains. And I literally had just to say to myself, Mario, 
this is it. Like you got to make a decision. And, and I just remember saying something along the lines, what if what you are imagining turns out to be better than what you expect? And it grew, it just, it grew so much in myself that there was more of an opportunity here than what I was seeing. And I just really believed in, in the whole concept of clear kayak. And also most importantly, that I was going in with, with a partner today that's been awesome at what she does, Samantha Hamgardner, and, and the guy who created everything, Justin Buzzy. Uh, nice that you gave them a shout out. That is so good. Well, I know that you covered one of our other questions, which was you know, pretty much like, what would you say to those looking to get into kayaking? So you answered that one for sure. I think we only have one other question. Let's, uh, I'm gonna send it back to you, Elizabeth. Number eight, go to number eight, please. What is the importance of parks today in our hypermedia world? It's a necessity to reground ourselves. And when I say that, it's just as simple or silly for some, it, it, what it sounds like regrounding ourselves it's essential for, for thinking of the basics, breathing, feeling, hearing, seeing things. And when I say things, it's just the most obvious, like animals, otters swimming from one side to the other, a gator swimming beneath your kayak. It's just, it's something that we should all experience. And it, just, it connects us so much more to ourselves and to mother nature that the parks that we are marketing, at least from our business side, are essential for our community. So Rainbow Springs has been ranked before among the top 10 national or state parks in the nation. So that's just one, one example. Silver Springs has been used so many times for movies where they create timeless memories. I would say they've recorded movies like or series like George of the Jungle, the, Monster, the Creature of the Black Lagoon, a James Bond movie, a Moonraker. So it's parks are, are important because they, they allow us to step back in time, see, re-experience history, and most important, connect ourselves with our senses, our nature, and really your mother nature overall. For sure. So often I find myself when I see everybody else just like face down, you know, head into whatever technological device we have at the moment. And, and so often we don't look up and see just kind of the beauty of the world around us and just the, the natural simplicity. So often we are we overcomplicate ourselves with so many tasks and things to do that it's really hard to kind of just take a breath and take a moment and experience the beautiful world around us. It's hard when everything is, it depends on a notification, right? A notification catches you and it's, it's really can distract you, but it, it, it's, it really just depends on oneself. It takes a lot of, I don't want to, it takes a lot of practice. At the end of the day, it's a practice where we just need to make sure that it's, it's helping ourselves versus affecting us. So mm -hmm. understanding when to put the phone away and really is to take this in is is necessary and i think this segues to some a comment that you guys mentioned off off camera like are people coming in and connecting or or are they just coming in for pictures 
I'll tell you that we see both. This is such a beautiful place where people just want to grab pictures anywhere they can. But once they're in there, once we make them work out for, for 30 minutes upriver and feeling what it is to be surrounded by nature and, and knowing that they shouldn't stop because there's somewhat of a, a small current and that we're, we're going to stop soon to go grab some pictures. People get excited. People see, seek that, that adrenaline, that, that, uh, that small rush of, of adventure through our paddles. So I would say it's, it's, it's definitely, we see both. We see both people connecting and people just coming out for the pictures. Yeah, well, the pictures are lovely and they do help make a memory also that's there. So I think that's significant. We're gonna take a brief moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So we're back to our show and it's all about internships and remembering, you know, what that that experience was like, but I know we've talked about this in a previous show. So we're going to kind of bypass the internship story and just look at the future of work. So what do you think, Mario, the future of the kayaking business, we can even include it, paddleboarding if you want, anything that's outside, but specifically your business would look like in 2030? What do you think parks might look like in 2030? And we have some interesting statistics if you want to share your opinion first, but I can bounce some of this back to uh, Elizabeth and she can talk about some of the trends that she found in some market research. What would you like to do? You want to share your opinion or here's some of this research? Well, I mean, we can, you can share some of the research, but I would just, from the top of my head, I would say the parks are not going to go anywhere. They're here to stay in the most of some of these are going to be national monuments to degree within their cities or and when I say monument is because they're being kept and and fought for by different organizations that are just trying to preserve land specifically in Florida because it's just starting to get developed in different places but aside from that technology is a plus for the way the staff members the organization that is really operating the parks are able to control the manpower that they need and simplify some of the some of the things that we don't get to experience out there in nature when they're just not allowing any Wi-Fi or or any any internet. A lot of these cabins at the state parks, for example, they don't have Wi-Fi. Um, oh, thank goodness. It's <laughs> great, but however, internally there should be some power where their staff members are being able to simplify things and automate things for the guests and, and people coming in. So I see progression within the parks and if anything, more representation or more of amusement behind it. That sounds good. Elizabeth, what did you find about just some statistics? Yeah, basically from my research, I found that the, the future of kayaking looks great. Because a lot of people are having more, there's there's been a huge surge in participation of like water recreation sports, getting out there on the lakes, on the oceans. And there's a, a lot of that is due to people having more disposable incomes, you know, more 
cash just kind of lying around, I guess, that they want to spend. And it's, it's going to create, from what I found, immense opportunities for the kayak market over the next 10 years. Kayaking is emerging as a really popular sport in developing countries and lots of families and individuals are now engaging in it. And it's, it's something that a lot of people, I think, can do because it doesn't require a whole lot of training, I would say, at least this is from my perspective, but I don't think it requires a whole lot of training and like extra class time. It's something you can kind of like kayak, like you can buy a kayak once and then have it for potentially a decade or so. Yeah. And I would say it's not that maybe they had all of this cash laying around. It's because they couldn't spend anything. (laughs) So nobody was able to go to events, to movies, whatever. So the ability to go out and do something that was outside of nature, again, exercise, fresh air, vitamin D, all of those great things that we were talking about earlier. That's huge because, you know, that's what people actually need to be doing more things outside, less things on their phone, and less things that are sedentary. This is true. Yeah. So Elizabeth also found something, an opportunity to kayak with sharks in San Francisco Bay. That sounds terrifying. You thought it sounded super cool, and you would do it. Tell me why you would do that. (laughs) That is horrifying to me. I think the ocean is something that we should always respect. However, these animals would be just amazing to see up close and obviously with respect but i i would find through in, in being able to see them up close especially from a, beneath a clear kayak that would be awesome <laughs> a kayak yeah yeah but you know I, I i don't know it's still well it's not a surfboard you know but it's still like Oh my gosh. Um, Have you ever seen those pictures? I'm going to jump to this different type of a scenario, but you can do this. I think it's in the Grand Canyon. And then there's, I think, someplace in New York where you can do it. And you walk out and it's like a glass floor and you're looking down and you can see that giant, like, oh my God, I could fall experience. And to me, that's what it would feel like. It's like, oh my God, there's an alligator right underneath my kayak that is, or a shark. And I think I've heard of more sharks attacking boats, you know, or people out in the ocean than I hear of alligators. So I don't know. It just sounds more more scary to me. I, I think there's just more water or more ocean water than there is fresh water or swampy water where the amount of gators versus the amount of possibilities of shark attacks. I would love to see those statistics in regards to numbers because I'm sure there's a big gap. But I would say that the media is the one promoting, is sharing that news in the sense of the percentage is so low. Oh yeah, yeah. We know we'll get hurt in a car accident more than we in a shark or gator attack, right? We know that. Logically, I mean, it just makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a natural creature that we don't, we haven't, we don't, get to experience so often Mm -hmm. and if there's a safe way of experiencing it and seeing it up close and and being a part of that experience then I think it's it should be done or I I would take part part of it okay so you're going to be reaching out I'm sure to sharkstewards.org it's a nonprofit, and you will see if you can set up a get up and go kayaking business out there and you will be the first one in the kayak is what I'm going to guess 
The first one in the kayak. <laughs> <laughs> Into the water with the sharks. Well, I mean, it's, the sharks are closed, no, but uh, I'll definitely be out there paddling for sure. Okay. All right. Well, now we're going to go jump into what the future looks like, because that was just something that was one of those random outliers. And I went, okay, this is interesting. I want to know more about that one. So we brought that one into the show. What do you think about robots that deliver snacks and groceries to people that are in parks? Because we know that drones can do that. I can't imagine that they would allow drones to be dropping things like that because of just, you know, flight restrictions and things of just having drones flying around in a state park. But I'm trying to picture this idea of robots where there's limited Wi-Fi and internet and how, and I'm thinking, I don't know, do they need that? I'm not sure. What kind of robots would these be that are delivering groceries to people in parks? Elizabeth, you found this, um, what did, where did you find the source and tell us more about it? Oh, it wasn't a source. It was me walking around a park. <laughs> what kind um, of a park? It was just like your, your local, like, I'm going to take my kids, uh, I'm the grass and there's trees and, you know, like dogs pooping. It's, you know, like one of those oh, like family friendly park. park. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a city park. Yeah. It was more on the edges. So it was like sort of wild. Not really. Like there could be a couple deer hanging out. But yeah, I was, I was just kind of walking around and I saw this like weird sort of white ovaly thing and a family walked up to it and they pressed a button and out came out of this tray, just like a bunch of groceries, just like some bread and what looked like sandwich makings, the future of a picnic perhaps. And I was curious, like, what, what do you think of that? Do you think that is the future? Is that just sort of like a, a random like- Oh yeah, that is, that's for real. I know that's for real. Based on all of our research that we've done on other topics, robots will definitely be doing that. But what do you think, Mario? Are they going to be in the parks that you can foresee? I think Florida is always slow to adopt those things. So I don't know, maybe in California, yeah. Well said, well said. <laughs> <laughs> it would take a while here for sure because there's a lot of other factors that, that subtract from that specific equation, specifically the taking, yes, it may reduce the overhead for, for the parks and it would increase their margins at the end of the year, but that's not really what they're trying to do. They're trying to create jobs. They're trying to, to bring in more, more people to participate in the outdoors. Uh, so usually the people that are working out at these parks and these state, these state jobs are actually the same folks who live within this community or are conserving the community throughout the years. Mm -hmm. So, once again, similar to what Isabella said, they won't allow the drones for sure. They don't do that today. They won't, maybe some vending machines that do dispose of these snacks or these sandwiches would be, I mean, I've seen some creative vending machines these, these days. So I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with something interesting. But it would take time for, before robots can replace an actual park ranger. For sure. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be robots. And quite frankly, I, I don't want to see that happen because if I'm going out into nature, it's a conflict of interest to see something that is a technology or a robot, anything that's like that kind of technology in that place. I am wanting to get away from that, not find it where I'm trying to get peace, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
with technology comes a lot of solutions, but at the same time, distractions or uh, not the focus. You, you forget about the, the, the senses that you are accustomed to use while you're out there in nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's probably places for, I don't think necessarily maybe robots, but one of the th- pieces of information that I found is that there is a soft robot. Engineers at Duke University have created this electronics-free soft robot that's shaped like a dragonfly and can skim across water and react to environmental conditions such as pH or the temperature or presence of oil. Now that I see has really, you know, some valid purpose, obviously, because you could send something like that out. It's not going to harm an animal going out there or even a person on a boat, maybe that you don't want to have going out into water that has some type of either, you know, oil leak or some type of dangerous fluids, um, chemicals in there. The proof of principle demonstration could be the precursor to more advanced autonomous long range environmental, they call them sentinels, for monitoring a wide range of potential telltale signs of problems in the environment. So using something that looks like a real thing that you would find in nature, it would be less, I think, what would be the word I would use, less likely to stand out as something that doesn't belong there. It might even blend in with the, the animals and the insects that live in that environment. So it could be less disruptive to their world. I think that's the advantage. Whereas, I don't know so much, you don't wanna be sending something out there that is a metal into another environment where it's all supposed to be environmentally friendly. So they're trying to find materials that they can create and use to produce something that is benefiting the environment rather than harming it or taking away from it. So it was interesting to me. So just sharing that one. So we actually only have time for a couple more questions here. So Elizabeth, you wanna pick one that you want and I'll pick one? Yeah, something that I thought was really interesting and I would love to hear your opinion on it, Mario, but there's a company, it's called Edge, and usually they just kind of create animatronic, like animal type things for like Disneyland or something like that. But a a part kind of asked them in order so that they wouldn't have to like capture any animal from the outdoors, they asked for them to make a lifelike dolphin. And so they did, and it's like 550 pounds, it's, it's eight feet long, it has AI technology, so it can kind of respond how a dolphin would, and it's controlled by a joystick, so it can still do tricks like SeaWorld. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Considering like humans kind of, we go into the environment and we do disrupt it sometimes when we do that. So what do you think? It's an interesting question. and So SeaWorld with no real dolphins. Right. I mean, so are we paying money now just to go see robots? It just, it really depends with time. We're also going to have to evolve our consumption habit. And when I say consumption habit, it's how we're perceiving, receiving the entertain the type of entertainment. So for the environment, I think it's great because it's going to keep the dolphins where they're supposed to be in the first place, um, not in an attraction. However, for in a business perspective, as, as a consumer, intrigued, but, 
but intrigued, but I'm just not sure if I want to go see robots jumping from the water. Yeah, I feel the same. It, it's really also some of the things that they bring these animals in for is because they're not able to be released. And so they bring them into the parks because they, they would die in the wild. And they've trained them to do tricks so that it is a part of entertainment. And you can see them up close where you might not be able to. And appreciate how smart they really are. You know, that's the part I think is there. Can you program a robot to, robot to do that? Absolutely. Uh, but can I train an animal to, that, to do that? That takes a lot more talent and work. Yes. Interaction. I, well, well, yes, everything you say is, is, is correct in the sense of they are doing a good deed, but there's more to that good deed, right? Why are they not ready to be out in the wild? I guess is the first question. And there's a lot of scenarios and, and it, this is just another point of view or another conflict that I can derail into. But what I'm saying is there's a lot into what these organizations are doing and how they're, they're uh, using the animals that I think with time, more NGOs and more organizations are gonna start collaborating with them and finding better solutions and, and, and even better entertainment to serve both sides of the spectrum. With that said, I, I, I just think that we're going to see a lot of change within this that industry itself. Mm -hmm. Yep, I would agree with that. So what is some be the best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? You, you I'm sure you have plenty of mentors, your dad, you know, well-known quotes that you've read, you're very well-read. So I'm pretty sure you have something to share. So when you say mentor, you mean like someone specifically? Oh, it can be just an inspirational quote. It can be something that your dad has taught you. It could be something that maybe one of your colleagues at work taught you. It can be from any place or anything, but I think a lot of people even consider quotes a part of mentoring to a certain extent because it began to set up a place in their life as to how they wanted to live their life and exemplify it. Right. So something I, you know, I, I shared with you, it's, it's actually a quote that I remember hearing is what if what we had imagined turns out to be better than what we expected. And I remember on our last interview, I brought up that I think this same, it was the same question, but in a different format. And someone who had inspired me or someone who, who was motivating mm -hmm. me. And I, and I remember responding, bringing up, is it Matthew McConaughey's? Matthew McConaughey, yeah. McConaughey's speech at the Oscars where he talks about how his hero was himself in 10 years. And till this day, I keep saying that to myself in the sense that it's a reminder, you know, it's just, I am not competing against anyone else. I'm just competing against myself. And everything that I try today is just to get better. I'm not perfect by any means and nor do I do everything right. Like there's a lot of learning curves. There's a lot of change that has happened throughout my ventures. And a lot of folks just see the better side, right? The good stuff that we get to promote on social media. And it's just because that is what is marketable today in society. But I'll say that with desire, there is a seed that with consistency gets watered to unleash 
a beautiful dream that was persistently desired to become reality. And as long as we're always keeping tabs on what we're going for and what we want to accomplish in life, we're capable of doing that as long as we are pers persistent and consistent with it. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> we're at the end of our show. So how can listeners reach out to you? Is it on LinkedIn? You have an email. What is the website for get up and go kayaking? If you want to throw in your real estate venture in DC, feel free, but social channels, all that good stuff. How do we reach you? Yes, so Mario Simauchi, uh, that's S-I-M-A-U-C-H-I. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook. If you want to reach out specifically for one of my ventures, like Get Up and Go Kayaking, Rainbow Springs, Silver Springs, you can also find that on my website at mariosimauchi.com, or you can also go straight to getupandgokayaking.com, and you're going to be able to find at different locations, about 14 locations around Florida to this date where you guys can find your next adventure on a clear kayak. That is super great. I am very glad that you shared that. I actually, this is somewhat of something that an experience that I've gained from you. I was privileged enough to be offered the opportunity to work with three interns uh, from Rollins College this year and created my own summer internship program for them. So this summer, I'm on my fourth week of mentoring these three brilliant kids through an internship program that we've been able to create through our, our own efforts, our own teams. And I just wanna give out a shout out and say thank you for being one of those mentors uh, through my journey and showing that there's, there's a lot into what we have to do as leaders and be able mm -hmm. to give back to our community. So once again, thanks so much. I appreciate that. And sure. I'm going to reach out to you and ask if you would like to be in our pilot program too. I will practice that ninja sales skills that you taught me. Okay. All right. We'll talk <laughs> offline then. But yes, I want to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very touched by that. Thank you. Of course. And Elizabeth, also a pleasure meeting you today. It's been awesome talking with you guys and great podcast that you guys are doing. It was great meeting you too. Thank you so much for being a guest. Of course, privilege. And we wanna take this moment to thank our sponsor again, Cat5 Studios, our production team, Axel Laponte, who, and Elizabeth Herbert, who are both our associate producer interns. Video editing is Steve Neese and our video interns, Raymond Ahmad Khan. We have Berkeley Walgamont and Mitsari Rosales. And then for our employers, this is just a shout out for our, our employers. We would love for you to visit Interim Pursuit at www.interimpursuit.tech to learn how you too can get matched with amazing intern talent. And thank you for supporting the Intern Whisper and subscribing to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel. Thank you. Bye-bye.